I'm really excited to um, have him come and share with us tonight. And Kevin, thank you so much for doing this for us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Carla. Well, thank you for the introduction there, Carla. And uh, I just uh, wanted to share, I want to be faithful to what she asked me to do. I'm going to share with you guys my testimony around uh, living and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of God. And I'm just going to share with you how I come to discover that, which I'm sure is not a, not a lot unlike you, you and uh, some obstacles that I've run into over the years and some things that I do to strengthen that, to remain walking in the power of God. And I, I think I'm just going to get my notes here, but for me, living and walking and moving in the power of God, it enables our lives to, be, to become like a liturgy. Living and moving in the power of God enables our lives to become like a liturgy that, that expands the kingdom of Jesus and glorifies God our Father. It, it demands that we have a certain reaction in our own hearts to things in our own lives that, that we have to surrender completely to him and allow him to move and live and have his being in our in our very in the fiber of our hearts when i first started uh, to get involved in the charismatic renewal i was quite young uh, my mom i grew up in edmonton alberta aka the holy land oh, i'm just kidding bad joke <laughs> Um, I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, and uh, my mom was involved in the renewal there. We are heavily involved with there was a the Archdiocese of Edmonton had a really good way to deal with the charismatic renewal. And they had uh, Sister Mac Weber was her name, and she was in charge of the um, charismatic renewal services center in downtown Edmonton. Great. So we, as growing up as kids, we went there very often for prayer group meetings or retreats or things like that. And not like we were ever really intimately involved with it. We were kind of there mostly playing with our toys. But to see that, be exposed to those kind of things was a really good way to do it. I, when I was a young boy, one of the most impactful things that, that happened was my, I had a younger brother who died. He was roughly two and a half years old, and I was about a year ahead of him, a year older than him. His name was Michael. And when he died, he died of cancer somewhere in his stomach. I don't remember where it originated, but from what I understand, it spread quite aggressively. He lived for a period of time, and a lot of his life was in pain. We'd be playing with our, with our you know, G.I. Joes and Spider-Man dolls and such, and we'd be having a great time, and then I'd look at his disposition, and his, you know, his face had changed, and he was definitely suffering. So that was really hard for the family to go through. My mom and dad, my dad had a conversion into the Catholic Church as a way to, to pray for his son. He thought somehow if, um, if he could become a stronger Catholic, that his son would be healed. And so when my, when my brother died, it was devastating to him, as it would be for any one of us. But it was hard for the whole family. And I don't remember how much time had elapsed when this has happened to me, but after he had passed away, we would, my mom was going through some prayer counseling with a friend of hers on an acreage just outside of Short Park, you know, outside of Edmonton. And they were up there meeting regularly, and they would say the rosary for the family. And I remember this was in the summertime, late summer, somewhere and then playing with my toys, and I walk past the front door, and I see Michael walking with Jesus, hand in hand. It's really something. I just wanted to get out there and run with him. And, and I said, Mom, Mom, it's, it's Michael and Jesus. And she came downstairs, and 
She looked outside the front door and she's like, oh, come on, man, there's nothing there. Just, no, no, it's Brooklyn, Jesus, right there. And she said, well, get your shoes on and then you can go. So I got my shoes on and ran outside to see them. And where, where I saw them walking from was at the end of a driveway. It was a long, you know, quarter mile or eighth of a mile driveway. And on the other side of these trees. And they were walking from one side of the driveway to the other side. And by the time I got there, they were gone. But that memory really stuck with me, obviously, now 40-some years later. And it's still present. And when I became a, a teenager, I got involved in, in sports and various activities outside of my faith. My mom and dad, I mentioned, had struggled with their faith a little bit from a, my perspective. I don't know if they really did, but I, from what I could see, they were. And church became one of those things that, you know, we do to appease mom. It's just one of those things you do because mom's going to get upset if you don't go to Mass. So you got to go to Mass. And that became my lifestyle and my attitude towards God and my attitude towards the Catholic faith. Or faith in general. And when I got into high school, I um, got involved in sports rugby, football, and powerlifting particularly, and I was really good at those things. And part of the reason why I was good at those things is I had a lot of pain inside from my brother passing. I had a lot of pain inside from bullying going on when I was in junior high, and I was just really angry, and those things were a good outlet for me to get out and just get some aggression out. And I was good at those things. I, I got some accolades from sports and, and such. But then at the end of my high school career, I, I, because of some injuries that I had sustained, I couldn't play anymore, even though I had been scouted to go elsewhere. I physically couldn't do that. And so my entire life was just gone. I had nothing to live for. I had everything that I felt was, would give me some sort of sense of value or worth or dignity as a person was stripped away. So I turned to, to alcohol, big time. And I turned to the party scene, big time. I don't want to dive too much into that. But in the midst of all those things, the one connection that I had was this memory of seeing my brother walking with Jesus. And we would have these insane evenings or, or weekends or weeks. And we'd talk around the fire. And we'd say about God instances in our life. And one of these things would be, oh yeah, man, when I was a kid, I saw Jesus when I was a kid. And even though I didn't have much of a faith life, that memory served to keep me grounded or anchored somehow to the heart of God. And this is around 1996, I had a, a really profound encounter with Jesus at a, at a Youth 2000 retreat. It was a retreat run by the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. And they, um, they would have this weekend conference centered around Eucharistic Adoration. And I showed up to this thing a little bit angry because I felt like my mom had coerced me into going. She was like, oh, Kev, she was a youth leader at her parish at the time, or the, working with the Dark Diocese at the time. And she said, you know, it'll look really good if you come. So I said, ah, whatever, Mom, ah, whatever. So the weekend came along, and I thought that I had to go, so I went along. Regrudgingly, really, I was very upset that I had to be there. And being there, I saw some of my old rugby mates and football teammates that were there, and it was really neat to see them. But again, the only thing that I had really anchored me to the faith was this seeing Jesus when I was, when I was younger. Nothing wrong with that. But it was like an external thing that happened to me, not really, not really knowing exactly why, until that weekend. I gotta say, I was there, and, and as, my, as the time went on, my heart started to get a little more soft to hearing God's voice, seeing these other players that I've, you know, bled and sweat and teared with over on, the, on, the, on the sports field. They were there sweating and tearing and, and praying and praising God Himself there. So it was really neat for me to see. In the middle of the retreat, there was a stained glass window that the thing, it's sort of the center theme, just like that picture back there. 
probably the same height, but it was a, as a retreat center called a Fat House, just outside of Edmonton and between Spruce Grove, Stony Plain, if you know that area at all. Um, and at this retreat center, I walked into this chapel where it was, where everything was going on. They had the Eucharistic monstrance there, which didn't really mean a lot to me at the time. But what I did see that I knew was this picture of Jesus standing there. And when I walked in, I walked in looking at him and I could see him looking at me because it's a picture. What else do pictures do but stare at you? But it, it was staring at me from one end of the chapel side to the other side of the chapel. And I remember looking at him and thinking, God, you know, you're looking at the wrong guy. But I could really feel it in my heart. But I would still respond to him saying, go look somewhere else. I'm just a drunk. I'm a washed up football player. I've got nothing going for me. Go look somewhere else. On Sunday of the retreat, I, you know, throughout the whole thing, my heart was warming up to hearing what God might have to say. And on Sunday of the retreat, I walked into the same chapel. And all of a sudden, things started to make sense because of one particular moment. When I walked in, my heart was open. I walked in ready to hear what God had to say. I can't say exactly what changed, but other than multiple and many things over that particular weekend. When I walked into that chapel, I heard God's voice speak to me. And he said, Kevin, I love you. Take up your cross and follow me. And in that very moment where I heard these words, very audible words that I heard in my heart, Kevin, I love you. Take up your cross and follow me. I knew that everything was leading up to this point of seeing my brother, other little God incidences in my life. All of these little things, even my suffering, had led me up to this moment to say yes or no. But I knew that my joy, my peace, and my satisfaction was going to be found in that moment of me saying yes to the heart of Jesus. And I said yes. At the end of the Mass, uh, Father Robert was his name. He uh, asked if anybody who had uh, felt the call of God to do something with your lives come on up to the front. And so we had what would be called an altar call of sorts after the Mass. Walked up to the front, and my life had changed forever. I think shortly after that, I had to go in for surgery on my ankle. There's something that's going on on my foot. And uh, I was laid up for roughly six months, three months on the couch. And it was such a perfect time for me to soak in what God had spoken to me at that at retreat previously. And during that time, I had encountered something called uh, the Jesus prayer. And I think something like this is really helpful for me. When I, uh, when I was sitting there convalescing or sitting on the couch not being able to do anything, the one thing that I could do was breathe, obviously. We breathe. And the Jesus prayer talk, talks, about, talks to us about how we remember God more often than we draw our very breath. And saying the name of Jesus with our breathing helps us out a lot, focusing our minds and hearts to him directly. And so saying that little prayer, Jesus, 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 was so helpful for me to draw closer and closer to him. And at that time, I didn't know how to say the rosary. So the only prayer that I did know was the Hail Mary. So I would say the Hail Mary over and over and over again until I eventually learned how to say a full Hail Mary. After I became more mobile, I went to a retreat called the Life in the Spirit Seminar, run by a team that I eventually had joined called Solid Rock. And uh, Archdiocese of Edmonton endorsed team that ran nothing but Life in the Spirit Seminars throughout the entire Archdiocese of Edmonton. We did that for a little while. I was on there for a few months. And it was a great experience coming to this Life in the Spirit Seminar and learning and discovering these gifts that God had given me, gifts of tongues and, and prophecy and healing and seeing these things unfold before my very eyes and other people's lives was a very intimate way for me to encounter God's action in my life. I remember one incident, 
I had a, a bloody nose. You know, I just used to get, because of these, I don't know. The, the doctor said it's because of head injuries or such. I used to get bloody noses a lot. And um, we were about to go into some small group discussion. And I was really looking forward to it. But all of a sudden, it just started gushing. And sort of be crafty here. But I, I just said, you know what, Lord? I've been hearing what you wanted to heal people. I just ask you, Father, I really like to go to the small group. Please stop this bloody nose for me. And instantly stop. Really, really neat stuff. At that Life in the Spirit seminar, I discovered a, a, a Catholic Bible school called John Paul II Catholic Bible School in Radway, Alberta, which I eventually went to. And uh, that, that school was founded and ran by the Charismatic Renewal through the uh, guidance of the Archdiocese to a degree and the Diocese of St. Paul. And it was a beautiful place where you can really learn and discover more and more about, how, about who God is and where you are situated in his, in his life. And coming out of that place, and a little bit prior to that, really, but coming out of that place, I had this burning desire to do missionary activity, which I completely love and I enjoy thoroughly doing. And I've been involved in, in it one way to, to another degree since my converted life in 1996. Shortly after my Bible school year, I went to the seminary, and uh, it was discerned that I, that I leave the ceremony after, uh, seminary after a short period of time, and as soon as I left, I ended up meeting Karen, who would be my wife very shortly after that. When I saw her walking out of her car with a young lady from Regina, uh, uh, both of them were from Regina. When I started walking out of the car, I said, man, Lord, that's, that's, I like that lady. You know, I want to try and get to know her a little bit better. So I asked God to provide some times and opportunities for us to meet, and he did. Um, and then about a year or two after that, in 2003, we married. And it's been about 20 years since we've been married. And living and walking and moving in the power of God is, is something that we really try hard to do every single day. And something that we learned is that we can't expect to live and move and walk in the power of God every single day if we're not willing to encounter Him at a particular time of the day. And just really sit there and encounter God through Scripture. That's what I do. Kara reads the road, says the rosary, reads from a devotional prayer group called, prayer group called Divine Intimacy. And I just dive through Scripture. We try really hard to do that every single day. And for me, something that helps me understand Scripture is a little app called Verbum that dives into the, the definitions of the words. Personally, I really enjoy that. And so I like diving into the Hebrew and the Greek meaning of some of these things. And, and, and discovering all this stuff, I remember one time struggling with something that I would say um, really disables me from moving forward in my spiritual life, which is shame. Now, I don't know if you guys can relate with me about shame, but shame is one of those things that really debilitates me. When I experience shame, I, I, I can't move forward. I'm stuck. It's like resting in our failures. It, it disables us from moving forward. And shame doesn't have to be one of those things that we, it has to be from a big event or a big mistake in our lives. Sometimes shame is just, sometimes it's just, I feel ashamed for living. Or, I mean, or maybe I feel shame for doing what, I, what I'm doing, or my job, or living where I'm living. Maybe I feel like I need to do something else or something different. And, and this is the experience of shame really, I really struggle with. And in just doing my daily readings one day, I was, I was inspired to read this one chapter from the book of Ezekiel. And I, I love this reading. I'm going to share it with you. This is Ezekiel chapter 37. It talks about the dry bones. I'll share a couple <laughs> verses for you. So the, land, so the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me around among them, and behold, there were very many in the valley, and behold, they were very dry. 
And the Lord asks, does Ezekiel to prophesy? And then thus says the Lord to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to come upon you, to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you. And he recreates them, makes them new creations. One of the beautiful things about this reading is that the Hebrew word for very dry, for dry, is to be ashamed. The other thing that's really neat about this reading is that in this place where they're living, this valley, is different from the valley of Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, the valley in that scripture is a gorge, like a little gorge in a plain. We're down in the deep gutters of things. This, instead, is a plain, a valley between two mountains. On one side, you see one row of mountains. On the other, you see another row. And there's that vast, big uh, plain in front of you. But you see these mountains. I think it's really neat that, that we can think of scripture verses that would take us from where we are to the mountaintops, isn't it? On the wings of eagles, we're going to soar like wings. On, on the wings of an eagle, we're going to soar. He's going to lift us up into these mountains. He's going to give us strength to rise again. But instead, here, in my midst of my shame, Jesus meets me in my valley of shame. So his reading then becomes no longer about the valley of dry bones, but the valley of our shame. Where God encounters us in our shame. And instead of taking us away from this. And then healing us. And then recreating us. He meets us in our shame. And he breathes his breath. His ruah. Where else do we see ruah? Genesis. Where the breath of God breathes his life into, the, into these very men and women. That he's created into these very bones that are dry from their shame. So when I read this reading... I'm filled with a lot of hope. I think it's really neat to me that God encounters me in my shame. He's not going to look at me after I leave that place of shame. You know, it's not like he says, hey, Kevin, you know, after you get out of that funk that you're in, then I'll give you some consolation. Then I'm going to help you. Then I'm going to guide you. No, it's in the middle of that mess that I'm in that he encounters me. It's in the middle of that nest that I'm in that he breathes his breath in me and recreates me from the inside and out. So there's nothing left, or, or pardon me, that, that I've become a new person. So for me, living and walking and moving in the power of God is acknowledging, hey, I'm going to make mistakes. And God's okay, <laughs> you know, he's not okay with maybe the mistakes that we make, but he's not going to stop loving us. So when I want to test about living and moving in the power of God, that's what it is. Is don't allow your mistakes to, to disable your, your growth in the Holy Spirit. Don't allow these things to stunt you. But know that somehow God himself encounters you in these moments. And he breathes his breath into you. Because he loves you. And he wants your life to become like a liturgy that glorifies God our Father. 